everything was kind of, it was going good. And then around the end of seventh grade, uh, I just kind of was feeling a lot of um, loneliness and just a lot of, I didn't really feel like anyone, I could count on anyone or I could, didn't have anyone to count, to care about me. And so then uh, I started praying for God to send me a friend that would be there for me and then we'd be like the ideal best friends I guess but as I got further into this relationship with my friend it wasn't all that I thought it would be so I it just led me into a deeper depression and a deeper darkness and as this depression grew it got worse on me and almost everyone I cared about was telling me that I didn't need to be friends with this person so but I did it anyways and just this relationship with my friend really um, just led to a definite disobedience and I don't know how I got there but I did and I've lived through it uh, this summer I went to a church camp with my friend Kennedy and the first night we um the guy who was talking, he did a sermon about um, where we see trash, God sees treasure. And so that really spoke to me because I definitely saw myself as trash. And he was just now saying, well, God doesn't see you as trash, which was blew my mind, I guess. And then the lady who was singing, she sang this song called Joy. And I have definitely been struggling with that. Um, and so we had an altar call, and I went, and I was saved that night at the ramp, July 23rd. And, yeah, ever since, uh, I've just kind of been living my life for joy. And I want to, I don't want to be that person that everyone says, yeah, she's a Christian, but she doesn't exactly act like one. I want to be that person that goes, oh, she's a Jesus freak. And so uh, I just... Yeah, joy's kind of been my thing, and if someone sees that you're going through something, I mean, it's a small town. People are going to know, really, if you're going through something or not. So, if they see that you're, you know, you're still happy and you still have a smile on your face because you're living your life for the glory of God, you, they're like, well, what does she have? You know, I need that, and... That's that's the best way that you can show someone that you could be that you can share the gospel. You know, how are you happy? Well, you see, I have this thing. His name is Jesus, <laughs> and he's a pretty cool dude. So that's awesome. My name's Courtney Green, and this is my story of joy. I know I ought to just go straight to the altar call and just, amen, amen I know. But let me just share a few things with you this morning. But, uh, thank you, Courtney. That was beautiful. Uh, joy flows out of the life that is connected to Christ. Joy is a characteristic of God. And when you put God 
in someone, joy is what will come out. It ought to be one of the primary characteristics of a person who is a Jesus follower. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians about joy and he writes to the Philippians and as I started sharing last week 16 times in the short letter of Philippians Paul either says joy or rejoice it's not just something he wrote about it was something he lived the Philippians knew that uh, and I shared this last week but the story of Paul starting the church and sharing the gospel and that is in Acts 16, the story of Paul and the Philippians. And yes, there's a lady that's in a prayer group by the river named Lydia that comes to faith and her household. And there's a demon-possessed girl that Paul and Silas deliver that demon in the name of Jesus. And uh, it disrupts everything. They end up being thrown in jail. One of the things that Luke records in that story in Acts 16 is that Paul and Silas were beaten. They were whipped. I don't know if it was at the level that Jesus was scourged before his crucifixion, but there's a parallel. It was both Romans that did that, and it's possible, really beaten within an inch of their life. I didn't share this last week because I knew it was coming this week. Do you remember what Luke records that night in that Philippian jail? Luke records at midnight as Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. Wait a second. I know we jump onto the earthquake, you know, and the earthquake and they all get freed and all that, all the good stuff. But just pause and think about that. Having been beaten, falsely accused, <laughs> imprisoned, beaten within an inch of their life, not knowing what their future holds, Paul and Silas at midnight are praising and singing God. Part of the reason they're praising and singing God is they couldn't sleep because they had been beaten so bad. Let's just be honest. But their choice was not to look at their circumstances, but was to look to Christ. And you see, our joy flows out of a life that is in Christ and not a product of our circumstances. If we, uh, if we make our emotions dependent upon our circumstances, then sometimes we will be happy, sometimes we will not. But if our life is connected with Christ and Christ supersedes and is far greater than our circumstances, then we can have joy in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Even if we have been beaten and we are in jail, then we will be singing and praising God. The Philippians knew that story and knew that... Ten years later, when he writes back, and Paul, and I described this last Sunday, is in prison in Rome, falsely accused, possibly facing death, when he writes to them about joy, this wasn't just something he was writing about. This was something they had seen him live, and now he lived out in adverse circumstances. So it's very powerful to think about Paul as he writes to his dear friends, the Philippians, and my question for these next several months as we work our way through the book of Philippians is how can Paul have joy 
in the midst of those circumstances? What is the secret to joy? Last week we just got through one verse and I just focused on that one word that Paul said he was a bondservant. And we talked about the first secret to joy last week being living out of calling and not comparison. That Paul knew the calling of God on his life. He knew his purpose for life. And even though his circumstances were not great, he had been faithful to what it was that God had left him on this earth to do. And therefore, Paul could live out joy. I hope you've been thinking about that this week. What is your calling? What are you here for? In the verses that follow that, verses 2 through 11, Paul expresses this very personal relationship that he has with the Philippians. And I think God has something to say to us again this week. Notice what Paul says. This is the opening of his letter. I want you to notice the personal expression that Paul states in his relationship with the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As Paul expresses that personal relationship in these verses at the start of his letter to the Philippians, I realize a second secret to joy and it is this that we find joy in the relationship relationships with those who walk the same road as we walk 
the second secret to joy that I see in the book of Philippians is the relationship we have with people that travel the same road as we are traveling. That's what I want us to think about this morning. The picture I get is Paul in prison, chained to a Roman guard, under house arrest. Yes, friends were able to come and go. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to come and to minister. There was probably a financial gift that helped with Paul's needs. But Paul's sitting there in the midst of these circumstances having every reason to be depressed and discouraged at what life had brought him. But there was joy. And one of the sources of joy, the secret to Paul's joy, is he could think about the Philippians and the life that they had lived, how they had shared the gospel with him, how they had lived it out, how how Jesus had changed their life and they had been faithful for the 10 years there's probably about 10 years, maybe 11 years between the time that Paul started the church recorded in Acts 16 to the time that he he writes the letter of Philippians and sends it back surely by the hand of Epaphroditus back to the Philippians and Paul when he thought about the Philippians every time he thought about them and he prayed for them his heart was lifted because he realized how faithful they had been to the gospel and how he had every reason to believe that they would continue in the path that they had set their feet on. And you know what? I, I can kind of put myself in that place as a pastor to know that if Paul had invested his life in other people and Jesus had changed their lives and he had seen them faithful He had seen them faithful all these years to know that, you know what? Even if, even if God's will is that I don't ever make it out of this Roman prison, I will know that there is a group of people in Philippi that are continuing to spread the gospel. And they're going to be faithful to the very end until Jesus comes or he comes to get us. I believe Paul's heart was lifted when he realized there were other people who had the same mission and were committed to the same cause and that even if he was taken out, they would still continue to walk that road. I would contend this morning that there need to be people in our lives, relationships, people that are walking the same road, the same mission, the same cause as us, that bring us joy because we know there are other people that are walking with us in the midst of the the calling, the purpose that God has placed on our lives. Second secret to joy, I believe, is finding joy in the relationships with those who are traveling the same road as we are traveling. Oh, if we begin to look in verse 2, Paul describes this relationship, and actually verse 2 is a very generic greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
this is almost word for word what Paul says in most of his letters. This is rather generic. You don't really see the personal dimension yet, but it is a customary greeting, uh, at least for Paul. It's kind of interesting because it has kind of the Greek greeting, which is typical, which would be grace, but it also has uh, the Jewish greeting, which would be peace. And Paul combines those together and then he talks about God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in verse 3, 3, 4, and 5, Paul talks about their past partnership in the gospel. And so verses 3, 4, and 5, he talks about the past, what, what brings us up to the present. And he says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. Paul says, every time I think about you, I express my thanks to God. He's going to say because of their partnership in the gospel. He says, every time I pray for you, God fills me with joy. I, you know, I don't think uh, there's any other uh, telltale sign of a deep friendship than to think, that I, you think about me, I remember you, and I pray for you. I don't know. Obviously, there's distance of miles between Philippi and Rome, and I don't even know what, how many miles that is. It's a bunch of them. So there's a great distance between these dear friends, but he thinks about them, he prays for them, and when he does, God fills his heart with thanks and joy. But it's verse 5. That I think is the most significant statement that Paul makes about their past. He says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's that phrase, fellowship in the gospel, that I want us to think about for just a minute. Uh, the word fellowship there is, is the Greek word koinonia, which simply means to have in common. So I know we think of fellowship as a covered dish meal that we eat together as Baptists. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're not eating today. Sorry about that. Um, but really the, the word there is much greater than a covered dish supper. It talks about having things in common with people. And... Paul kind of narrows that and he says what we have in common is the gospel. You have, we have held this in not only our, a common experience, but a common purpose to say we will promote the gospel. So the gospel has changed me as the message came to me, but also it is something that I am continuing to propagate. It is my life calling and, and passion. So he, he remembers and he prays for them and what he remembers and gives him great joy is their their commonality they had in the gospel he says from the first day until now and so uh, that is a si significant statement and I, I want you just to kind of have that in mind as we move forward one of the other things in verse 4 is this little phrase he uses uh, when he refers to them and he says, you all, 
Now, uh, uh, mm, oh, I don't want to have a grammar lesson. Help me. You, in the English language, can be both singular and plural. So I can say, Eli, you, and then I can say, oh, you, you. It can be a singular or it can be plural. In Texas, we, uh, we clarify the plural by saying, y'all, y'all. Uh, in the Greek language, uh, um, Paul never says y'all. <laughs> he does say you all. But it's kind of interesting that really the Greek word for you there is actually in the plural. He didn't have to say all. He, he meant plural, y'all. He, he meant y'all. I just said it. Uh, but there's something here that Paul, when he could have just said you, knowing it's all of you, plural, Philippians, he says you all. He, it's almost the implication is every one of you. I want you to know that I, I, I thank God and I thank you for your participation, your, your partnership in the gospel. It's something that blesses my heart that I thank God for and fills my heart with joy when I think about it. But there's something else. And, and I point it out here because he uses it in these next few verses, I think about four times. He says you all when he could have just said you. And there's something there that's going to come up later in the, in, the, in the letter, and you just need to be aware of it, because one of the issues, there's not many issues in the Philippian church, but one of the issues in the Philippian church relates to unity. And Paul begins early when he talks about what I think about and what I, who I pray for, and he said, you all, all of you, have participated with me in the gospel and you fill my heart and there's something in, in the implied in Paul's way of saying that saying that that talks about their need to be together the implication is you need relationships among yourself all of you need relationships among yourself and and yes Paul draws uh, joy out of his relationship with with the Philippians, but and they, they could do the same knowing that Paul's in prison and he's suffering for the gospel, then their heart could be filled with joy, but they also need to be together and unified so that they draw uh, strength from each other. And so Paul, I mean, so this is, Paul says, I thank God for your partnership, your fellowship, your participation with me in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul said, you believe and you have remained steadfast over the last 10, 11 years in your participation, your partnership with me in the gospel. Then Paul begins to look forward to the future. And I think this is actually more significant. In verses 6, 7, and 8, he, he says in verse 6, and this is one of the big verses, we all quote this one, we know this one from Philippians, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is so powerful when you put it in the context, because what is Paul saying? I know that you have been faithful from the very beginning to today, but the other thing that fills my heart with joy and I thank God for and encourages me and, and helps me to remain steadfast and persevere in the midst of circumstances that aren't real great, quite honestly, outwardly, is that I know... That God, who has begun a work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day that He comes or He takes us home. I know, Philippians, you are going to persevere to the very end. It's one thing to have a past with someone. 
and to say, man, you've been faithful to the same cause that I'm faithful to. And we've walked that road. Is another thing that's projected off in the future and goes, you know what? I know you are so grounded in the road that we are traveling, whether I am there with you or not. I am persuaded. I am assured of this, that you're going to continue that road until the very end. Do you understand Paul sitting in prison, having invested his life in the Philippians? It's one thing to say we have a past. But you see, it wasn't just about their past participation or their partnership in the gospel, but it was also about their future perseverance, that God will continue to work in their lives and they will allow God to continue to work in their lives to the very end. He says in verse 7, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all. Because I have you in my heart. So he speaks about that emotion, that connection that he has with them. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, this is the first time in Philippians Paul talks about his chains. He's going to say it several times in Philippians. We know the historical context here that Paul, whether these are literal chains or figurative chains, he's in prison, we know. He's under house arrest. Most likely he is chained to a Roman guard as he was, um, or, or chained in the same way as he was in that Philippian jail. It is a statement of Paul's adverse circumstances. It is his statement to the Philippians that, yes, I am very, I am persuaded that you are going to stay faithful to the end. I want you to know in the midst of my circumstances when it would be easy to be discouraged, depressed, and just give up and say, where is God? That I also will persevere until the very end, until Jesus comes or he takes me home. This is a path that I will choose to walk regardless of what the outward circumstances of my life may be, even if they, it is chains. And so he is saying, he's communicating that in the midst of his chains, he will remain faithful. He says, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, these are his circumstances. Uh, defense and confirmation are legal terms. And it speaks of the impending trial that Paul is facing to appear before Caesar. And the day will come that as these years that he has been transported from Jerusalem now to Jerusalem, and he probably has been under house arrest for a year or more, he is waiting for the day that Caesar calls him in. And he makes a defense and a confirmation of the gospel. Defense is that, that argument, that these are legal terms, uh, that a lawyer would make an argument. This is my case. This is my defense. Uh, the classic word here it comes from apology, but it's not apology like, I'm sorry for that. It is the defense of the gospel. And Paul says, I want you to know that I'm in chains and the day will come, and I'm here for the defense of the gospel. He's going to talk about that next week in our next verse, in verse 12. Can't get there. He's going to be faithful in his defense. Uh, the confirmation um, would have the sense of the evidence in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel not only will I give a, a logical 
argument, defense of the gospel, but also there will be confirmation, there will be evidence of the things that God has done that cannot be disputed. I, uh, uh, Brother David Box and I are going to Africa soon, three weeks. I've been working on my stories, Brother David. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you out publicly. But I love that story in Acts 4 when, the, when Peter and John are called before the religious leaders who just days before have killed Jesus <laughs> and they've healed the lame man that's set by the, the gate beautiful in the temple. And it comes to the, in the midst of the deliberations, the man who has been healed is standing there. And so it's kind of like, well, what can we do? <laughs> How can we say this is a bad thing? You boys shouldn't be doing this. The man was lame and now he was healed. Hmm. So they, didn't, they finally had to let him go because of the evidence, the power, the change. And Paul said he wants them to know in the midst of his change that he is being faithful to the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And he says, you all, end of verse 7, you all are partakers with me of grace. That word partakers is the same word in the original language as the word for fellowship in verse 5. And it means, as I said earlier in verse 5, to have in common. You are... It says partakers. Uh, it's that since I said this earlier, you are partners with me of this grace. You are, you are walking... The word common, the imagery I have in the sermon is, is, is a road that we walk with someone. This is someone we have in common. We walk the same path. We are together. We have the same mission, the same destination, the same purpose, the same passion. This is somebody that is with me. And what Paul is saying is, I am encouraged to know that you are with me. Even though there are miles apart, that you are with me. I have that relationship. I know that you are continuing to promote the gospel and you're going to be faithful. You're going to persevere to the very end. He wants you to I'm doing the same thing. We are partners of this faith, of this grace. In verse 8 he says, For God is my witness, also to use a legal term, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. God is my witness that I, I long to be with you. I miss you. I want to be with you. But we are separated by miles. But I'm going to remain faithful and steadfast. I'm going to persevere. And I want you to do the same. This is the kind of relationship. Do you understand that? All of this is about, we have a past together, but we have a future together. Both of us know, regardless of what happens to us, we will be traveling the same road. Even if someone is taken from this earth, I care for you very deeply. And then Paul expresses his prayer for their growth and maturity in verses 9, 10, and 11. says in verse 9, and this I pray, this is his first, you know, I think Paul prayed for his churches and these people all the time, and when he begins to write the letter, he just says, no, these are the things I've been praying. It's not that just on this occasion, oh, I'm, I want to pray this for you today. No, this is what Paul has been praying for them. Paul was praying for their growth and maturity, and the first thing he says in verse 9, and this I pray, that your love may abound 
still more and more in knowledge and in and all discernment, he prays that their love would increase and grow. Because God is love. And one of the characteristics of someone who is filled with God is that they love. That your love may abound, would increase. And he, he just throws adjectives there still more and more. But it's this qualification at the end that's interesting to me. In knowledge and all discernment. Many times the start to love can be nothing more than sentimentality. Nice sentiment. When Paul talks about that, he says, I want your love to grow more and more, Philippians. That it will be in knowledge and all discernment. The word knowledge and all discernment speaks of truth. Love can be mere sentiment at the start, but Paul says, I want your love to deepen, Philippians, because your experience with God is that it would grow more and more and that it would deepen. It would be not just love that would be sentiment, but it would be love that is based in truth. Verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Philippians, is, what I pray for you is that as you grow and you mature in your relationship with Christ, I pray that you would know how to, how to test the things that are best. That you may approve. That word approve means to test, to put something to the test. The things that are excellent. Many, one, of the, one of the steps of maturity is knowing not just what things are good, but what things are excellent. Life is not just about good things, it's about the best things. And he says, I pray that you would grow and you would mature in your faith so that you would know how to test those things that are excellent, that are the very best. That you may be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ. That word sincere means that which is tested by the sunlight. If you were buying something in someone's ancient home and there's not very good lighting, you'd say, well, no, no, let's take this outside and let's investigate it under the light of the sun and see what it really looks like. That word sincere means that, that you are pure without fault. He says, I pray that you would grow and you would mature so that when even your your life is brought into the sunlight that it will be without offense and I pray that you do it to the very end till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness verse 11 which are by Christ Jesus I pray that you would be producing fruits of righteousness that only come by Jesus Christ the spirit of Christ would be working in your life and you would be producing the fruits and he, he uses that last phrase to the glory and praise of God the sense I get from this and the previous verse when he says, till the day of Christ Jesus, is someone who is walking down a road or running down a road and gets to the finish line. I pray that you would do it until the very end. Till you get to the very end and you cross and there's a judge there that determines whether you've been worthy in the contest if you played according to the rules and that you are deserving of the winner's trophy or wreath that was placed on the winner's head. The winner's head in the ancient Greek games the sense I get is that you would do it to the very end my prayer is that you would grow more and more and at the finish line it would be to the glory and the praise of God that he would say well done now Paul feels deeply about the Philippians and he had joy 
because he realized that there were those that were on the road or in the battle with him. I would contend that's very significant today. When circumstances are adverse, one of the things that we will find joy in is other people who are walking the same road with us. Now you have to be careful because sometimes those that we walk with can discourage us and trip us up. You have to be careful when you put your eyes on men and not on God. And I'm not saying this is all in all. I'm not saying this is the only source of joy, the only secret to joy. I believe it's one of the secrets to joy is that we find those who are traveling the same road as us with the same purpose and the same mission and we know that they have done it in the past and they're doing it in the future and we can find joy in that because there is someone that we are with together. Hmm. We must in our Christian life if we are to experience joy have a relationships with those who are traveling the same road as us. Quickly this morning, I think of two joy killers. Last week, the, the joy killer to living a life out of calling is living a life of comparison. I think about two things here that will kill our joy that we have to be careful of. And they're little preacher words, so this is just the way I can remember these, okay? One is contamination. We ought to have relationships with those who are walking the same road as we are. We have to be careful. We could walk a road with someone who is not on the same mission or have the same purpose. And I, I would just use the word uh, contamination. It's what the scripture says, bad company ruins good morals. My warning to you as Christians is there will be people, if you are not careful, if they are, listen to me, if they are your primary relationships in life, I understand we all have relationships with people that are not followers of Christ, and, and Christ encourages us to do that. Yes, I understand that. But if you have primary relationships in your life with people, that are not walking the same road or do not have the same values and priorities and passion as you have in Christ it will steal your joy the second joy killer is the word I would use isolation isolation it is when we don't have relationships with people that are traveling the same road as we are. We, we choose to isolate ourselves and to walk alone. If Paul needed the Philippians and the Philippians needed Paul, we need other people in our lives. And one of the things that will kill our joy is to isolate ourselves and to try to walk the road alone. Now we can walk, walk it with the wrong people. That's contamination but we can also try to walk it alone 
and that's what I would call isolation. We all need relationships. Relationships take work. Not everyone's going to be perfect. But we can draw joy from those relationships if people are walking the same road that we are walking. Uh, it's a part of what we are about, need to be about, as a church family. We need to have relationships among ourselves. I think the final thing that I would say to you as a word of challenge is that those relationships need to be, here's my phrase, beyond the superficial. I understand we can all have relationships and there's a certain sense that, yes, that's a good thing. It's better than not being connected at all. But we need to make sure that at least some of those rela relationships go beyond the superficial, the outward. Just, if we're not careful in the Christian life, we can have a lot of friends and a lot of people that agree with us and walk the same road as us. But really, it doesn't go beyond the superficial. And I think there's a, there's a need in our lives always to have relationships. But my final challenge is some of those relationships need to go beyond the superficial so that there are people in our lives that we share the deepest parts of our life with. I, don't, I, don't, I get that sense from Paul in the Philippians. I don't know that. But Paul speaks to the Philippians like he speaks to no other of the churches. I don't know, maybe Paul had other relationships like that. There were men that traveled with Paul. But it seems like the Philippian church was a church that he was closer to than any of the others for whatever reason that was. There need to be some people like that in our lives. And it's not the only secret to joy. But as I think as we look at those first verses in Philippians, to me, it's the second secret that we find joy in the relationships with those that walk the same road as we walk. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, Father, I, uh, I pray for our lives. And Father, as you have come into our life, I pray that uh, our lives would be open uh, to those around us. And uh, Father, I pray that we would draw strength and joy from each other. And Father, I pray that you would uh, strip away uh, just the outward veneer of our lives. And Father, there would be those that uh, we would connect with at the deepest level, Father. And they would challenge us, they would encourage us, they would spur us on. And Father, we pray that even as Courtney has shared, that, Father, there would be a joy that, that would be so demonstrated to our world that they would ask us, I, I want to know what's different about you. So, Father, I pray in these days that you would teach us about your joy.